if, if y'all looking for the uh, scripture reading this morning, would you turn with me to John 4, uh, 4th chapter of John, and we'll start with verse uh, 43. Uh, 43 in John 4, and we'll read down through uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 443 down to 59. <clears throat> when you find your place, would you stand? Now, after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, uh, that's uh, data, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in the condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man said to him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today, gathering us for the purpose of worship. Lord, now as we uh, turn to this time allotted for, um, for the proclamation of your word, Lord, uh, we want to continue to worship. Lord, as we hear what you're speaking through your word, to your people. Lord, grant ears to hear. Lord, come in power, we pray, so that we are rightly affected by your truth, so that we are changed by it for our good and for your glory. We pray asking these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And somewhat of a dual theme today as we look at these um, passages, and so let me let me start. And and uh, when I say passages, I'm I'm thinking also of tonight. But let let me start with um, a reminder of John's main purpose in writing this uh, account this gospel account that we call the, the gospel according to John. Um, and that's found in chapter 20 and verse, verses 30 and, uh, and 31 where John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, 
But these are written so, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, that's, that is John's explicitly stated purpose for writing the Gospel. So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, he's concerned with the identity of Jesus. He wants us to believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, that is, by accepting that and by um, trusting in Him, we may have life in His name. That is, through the life, uh, work, including the death and resurrection of Christ. So John says, I want you to know who Jesus is. And that's, that's going to be kind of in the background this morning because that is the main thing, thing that John is doing here. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to narrow it a little bit um, and, and talk about one particular aspect, but we, we need to keep that in mind. John's purpose is so that we might know who Jesus is. And, and we're going to see that further down in the chapter, Lord, Lord willing, tonight. Um, when, when you get to the dispute about the Sabbath, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, the man being healed and carrying his bed on the Sabbath, and Jesus healing on the Sabbath, um, Jesus responds to, their, to, the, to the indictment of the Jews by saying in verse 17, My Father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, he's saying as a justification for performing a, a sign on the Sabbath, that is healing someone on the Sabbath, to justify that, he says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And they know that he's talking about God when he says, My Father. And so, um, John goes on to say that this was the reason that they, were, um, uh, or that they wanted to kill him. And verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18 says, um, Because he was breaking the Sabbath, and not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Like I say, Lord willing, we'll, we'll talk about that tonight, but I just want to point that out, that that's still the overriding thing. He wants us to know who Jesus is, who he claims to be. He's making himself, he calls God his Father, and the Jews understood that that meant he was making himself equal with God. Now, what I want to focus in on this morning, we're going to use these two um, accounts that we have of, of, of healing that John has given us here. Um, and we, we, we stopped midways in the second one, uh, midways in the narrative, and that's because I'm just going to focus primarily on the healing itself, and then tonight we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get into the dispute that arose as a result of it. These two incidents, first you've got the, the official uh, that comes to Jesus asking for healing for his son. Secondly, you've got the man, the lame man, at the pool of Bethesda. Now, what, is, what I want us to see here, and this is, this is, this is um, again, with that ultimate point of view, to, to, to uh, show us the identity of Christ, who Jesus is, what John is focusing in on in these narratives is Jesus' power. And, and even more specifically, the power in his word. In fact, we could say it this way, Jesus himself, not, not only him speaking, but Jesus himself is the power word. When, when he speaks, there's, there's power. His word is not ineffective. Now I know we can say, well, you know, we, we see places and people where it's Certainly seems to be ineffective. The word goes forth and people don't hear, and, and that happens to us as well, even as Christians. We're dull of hearing more than we should be God's word. You say, well, it doesn't seem to be taking effect. Well, but the overall effectiveness of it is not um, harmed at all by our dullness. God's, God's word goes forth with power to accomplish what he purposes. For it to accomplish. That's Isaiah 55, 11. Alright, so, so when he speaks, it's with power. And he's giving us some examples here of uh, manifestations of this power. He himself is the power word. When his word goes forth, it is a power sound. In fact, that's the word John, uh, or Jesus uses here. It's, it, is a, it is a powerful sound. 
It's a power word. It's a power voice. It's a power command when He gives an imperative as we will see Him do. So in other words, it, 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 when Jesus intentionally, um, when He speaks, meaning for something to happen, along with that comes the power to make it happen. It's not just a, an empty sound. So let's start with the, with the official here. And John, in uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 43, um, he's, he's taking up from where we left off with Jesus' um, trip through Samaria and, and the acceptance. And that's going to be something we're going to pay some attention to also, uh, this contrast. He, he goes into Samaria of all places, because the Jews did not think well of the Samaritans at all. He goes into Samaria of all places, and they receive him and receive His Word. They believe. In fact, verse 42 says, uh, the, quotes the Samaritans as saying, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So you have sort of an awakening, not sort of, but you have an, an awakening in Samaria. And now the contrast we're going to see is he goes back into Jewish territory and he's going to face opposition. Amazing, isn't it? Came into his own and his own did not receive him. So, we're going to begin to see that contrast, and it just, it just gradually escalates. starts out here, kind of subtle, uh, in what we're going to look at this morning. But as we go through chapters 6 and 7 and so forth, it, it, just, and they, it just continually builds um, until they're, they're you know, accusing him of being uh, of the devil and, and uh, trying their best to kill him and, and so forth. So, it's, it's following that trip through Samaria that John picks up here in verse 43 and says, After the two days, now that's the two days that he stayed in Samaria because people were wanting him to stay and asking, um, uh, you know, they were receiving his word and asking him to remain there. Uh, in fact, they specifically asked that he remain two more days. That's in verse 40. So, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. Now remember, we, we talked about last week, he's going here from Jerusalem down to Galilee and he had to go through Samaria to get there. So now he's, he's resuming his journey to Galilee. Verse 44, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Now watch this close, because this is, this is a little tricky. Um, verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now that sounds contradictory on the surface, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus said he has, the prophet has no honor in his own home, his own territory. And yet, when he goes back to his own home territory, he is welcomed. But we're going to see, again, as I mentioned just a moment ago, as we move through these next few chapters, this, this welcome is very superficial. And that's one of the things I want us um, to notice here. There's a very superficial welcoming of the Lord because there's no real interest in His identity. Verse 45. So when He came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed Him, having seen all that He had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Now, here's the thing. What, what they are welcoming is a wonder worker. Somebody who performs signs. And it may not be so evident at this point, but it will be as we move on. They're not, they're not viewing Him as the Christ, the Son of God. And that's what John wants his readers to understand. That's what he wants us to understand. That He's the Christ, the Son of God. And he wants us to believe that, so that, believing on Him, we might have life through His name. That's not where they are going here. They are welcoming Him because they saw what He did in Jerusalem. To them, He's just kind of a traveling wonder worker. Something they can get something from, and unfortunately, um, they're not interested in the right thing. So verse 46 says, He came into Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So he's, he's back now at Cana. Remember chapter 2? He was uh, attending a wedding there, and he turned water into wine. 
So that's where he is now. He's back in Cana of Galilee. When this man heard, verse 47, I'm sorry, verse uh, 46, at Capernaum there was a man, an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, there's a good indicator. This is just like the end of chapter 2 when we were told that they, seeing the signs that He was doing, they believed on Him. But, John goes on to say, Jesus Himself would not commit Himself to them because He knows what's in man. And that's what's happening here. They're welcoming Him, and, and now you've even got a, a father who, who comes to Jesus with, a, with a, a, a sincere need, serious need. His son is ill at the point of death, and he comes asking Jesus to come and heal his son, and Jesus responds by saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But Jesus, again, is getting right at the heart of their problem. He, he always sees through the superficial. Even when it's focused on Him. I mean, you, you can call out to Jesus for help, but the question is, do you really understand who He is? Are you really seeking the right thing from Him? Do you really understand that He's the Christ, the Son of God, and is what you're really after eternal life? Are you, are you coming to Him based on your real need, your, your, most, your, most, uh, your, your primary need, which is save, to be saved from sin? Are you coming to Him based on that and based on who He is? That is, He's the only Savior, like the Samaritan said. He's the he's Savior of the world. Or are you just coming thinking you might gain some kind of temporal benefits. He's going to make my life better. He's going to give me water so that I don't have to come back to this well and do the hard work of walking all the way down here in the heat of the day and drawing water so that I don't have to do that again. He's going to give me water. Are you really looking for living water from the only source, the Son of God, the Christ? Well, obviously, again, their motives are not right, and Jesus recognizes that. And even though it may sound harsh to that to us, it's even the case with this man in desperation, apparently. But Jesus does now when he responds in verse 48. He talks to the crowd. That's a plural you. You see. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So it's an indictment against the whole crowd there. Now I want you to hear the desperation in this man's voice, which is real, by the way. His son is dying and he's desperate. The official said to him, and, and incidentally, we don't, we don't know. Some suggest that he's probably a Roman centurion or something like that. We, we don't know. We don't, we're not given the details here. Uh, in, in my, I, I see no reason to, uh, to think that he's not a, a Jew because otherwise I think it would probably be pointed out, just like it was pointed out with the, with the woman at, at uh, Sikar and uh, with the Roman centurion in the, in the gospel, of, uh, in the synoptics. So he's probably a Jewish official, probably works for Herod, but at any rate, he's an, he's an official, and he says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You, you, can, you can hear the urgency, you can hear the desperation. He needs help. Now, he, he probably doesn't know, and I think this is often the case, he probably doesn't know the extent to which he needs help. Like I would say, he apparently doesn't know. By, by Jesus' words here, he apparently doesn't know the extent to which he needs help. And he's totally focused on what's going on right now in the present Temporal things, natural things, natural life, in this case, the life of his son. Just like the woman at the well was focused on 
natural water. Nicodemus was focused on natural birth. After Jesus' disciple, after Jesus' discussion with a woman, his disciples came back and he's talking about food to eat that they don't know of, and they're focused on natural food. You know, where did he get food to eat? And that's not what Jesus is focused on. In Jesus' mind, that's not the most urgent issue. Even this dying child is not the most urgent issue, although he's going in, in grace to address it, as we will see. But you hear the desperation. Come down before my child dies. But listen, desperation's not enough. There's a lot of desperate people out there. There's a lot of people that like signs and wonders and, and, and if, you know, you find somebody performing signs and wonders, you can attract a crowd. And they probably won't even mind so much. You know, in our day it's not politically correct to talk too much about Jesus, but if you've got signs and wonders happening, they're probably not going to pay any attention to your plaque or whatever it is that says Jesus is Lord or to your talking about Jesus. People like signs. And desperate people will come if you tell them you can fix the issue that matters most to them. You know, we, we, you just come to Jesus and your financial problems will be over. And you get some desperate people out there and there are plenty in dire straits financially. And they're, they're about willing to try just about anything. But desperation isn't, isn't enough. Jesus is looking for something deeper here. John, the author, he's, he's looking for something deeper here. That's why he's giving us a story to show us. Just being infatuated with signs and wonders, that's, that's, not, that's not enough, that's superficial. Desperation, even though the, the, the problem may be real like it is in this man's case, It's got to go deeper than that. That may be a first step. And in fact, in this case, I think we're going to see that it actually does wind up, wind up going deeper. So desperation may put you in the right direction, but it still has to move beyond that. So, Jesus says in verse 50, boy, this is so good, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of times these responses are so short and sweet and powerful. This is an example of the power of voice. He's, he's, not, he's not just patronizing the man. He's not just speaking empty words into midair. Jesus said to him, Go! Your son will live. Now, this, this is part of, again, the, the overarching narrative about Jesus' identity. In fact, this is where we're going to be heading. Look down for a minute at verse 25. Jesus says, in, in chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He, he has the power to grant life, both spiritually and, even as we're going to see here, physically. He has the power to grant life. So he says, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Now that's astounding right there. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And again, this is part of what John wants us to see. Jesus' Word is powerful. It's trustworthy. We should believe the Word. When Jesus speaks, we should believe. And He went on His way, but I don't, I don't think, interestingly enough, he's, he's not quite there yet, probably, with who Jesus is. But, he took him at his word. Jesus said, go, your son will live. And so the man goes. 
He believed the word that Jesus spoke. And he went on his way. And verse 51 says, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. What a coincidence. So he asked, that is the, the official, in verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, that would be about 1 p.m., Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Now, it just seems to get a little stronger every time. First, first there's, there's some measure of faith seen, seen in his just coming to Jesus. Although, again, I think Jesus' response indicates that it's not enough. It's not enough to just be looking for help. You know, my son's dying and I need help. Although, certainly, if your son's dying and you need help, you need to come to Jesus. Certainly, if you've got marital problems, you need to come to Jesus. Certainly, if you've got financial problems, you need to come to Jesus. I mean, yes, He can address all of those things, but that's not the primary need. None of those things are the primary need. So the man comes to Christ out of desperation. When Jesus speaks, he believes his word. Seems to be a little progression there. Maybe what Jesus said in verse 48 kind of hit home. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And So he's thinking, well, you know, um, I mean, maybe that registered. Maybe he's thinking, I, I need to, I need to um, believe this man. Now, when, the, when it is confirmed to him that the miracle actually happens... It seems to me to get even stronger. It says, He believed in, his, in all His household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when He had come from Judea to Galilee. So superficial acceptance of Christ doesn't, doesn't suffice. I mean, just, just being impressed by... Somebody that does miracles is, is, not a, is not a saving faith, a saving attitude. It's superficial. I mean, there's, nothing, there's nothing deep about it. It doesn't, it doesn't really connect with Jesus in regard to who He is. Desperation's not sufficient. Although, again, you know, if we're desperate, we need to go to Him, but we need to go understanding that He's our only hope. And understanding that our greatest, our greatest problem is our own sin. And that He's the Savior of the world. He's the only one who can fix that. We need to go trusting in Him and His saving work. Now, here's the second, second incident that John gives us. Chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now he goes back to Jerusalem. We don't know how much time has elapsed here. He just says after this, so we don't know how long after. But Jesus goes back to Jerusalem. It says in verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Now that means house of mercy or, or house of outpouring. Interesting. Now this is at um, what's called here the Sheep Gate in, in Jerusalem. Uh, the word gate there is supplies, supplied because um, the verb doesn't have an object. But in, in Nehemiah, three times the Sheep Gate is mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. So uh, some of the uh, translators here have supplied the word gate there. Um, so it's a sheep gate, a pool in, in uh, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So you, you've got these pools, actually twin pools, and people just laid out around them. It's always... You know, such a, a, a just a, a picture that's hard to conceive of, and I, and I know these kinds of things still go on. 
but in our country we're so blessed with all of the all of the, the medical treatments that we have and you don't you don't you know see this kind of thing but just imagine you you got these pools and all of these sick people laid out around them a multitude John says of blind lame and paralyzed and one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a long time. The word that John uses there for invalid is, is not specific, so we don't know exactly. Uh, you know, was he, was he paralyzed? Was he extremely weak? Uh, we don't know, but at any rate, <clears throat> he's beyond self-help. And he's laid beside this pool because there's a superstition connected to it. That is that you could be healed if you went into the pool, or the first one into the pool, after the moving of the waters. Um, the King James says there's an angel that went down and stirred the waters. Um, that verse, verse 4, is actually... You won't see it in some of your translations except in the footnote because of the, the little attestation that it has. It, it, it's, 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 it's been you know, placed over in the, the footnote um, because it's believed to have been added somewhere along the way. But at some point, something, or, or, there's something going on here because verse 7 says, uh, the man says to Jesus, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Now, a couple things. John says there's a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And we're going to see here that Jesus singles out one. That's interesting, isn't it? It's another example of his sovereignty and his sovereign initiative. It's like he was. Um, when he was talking with Nicodemus and he's explaining the new birth and he says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, where it wills. Just like so often, you know, you see these things said and then you keep reading and you see them play out. The wind blows where it wills. That is, the Spirit of God moves according to His own sovereign will, when and where He wants to, on whom He wants to. Later, we'll see another example of this, when Jesus enters a graveyard and He calls out one man in chapter 11. So there's a multitude of lame people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And among them, this one man who's been paralyzed or been an invalid for 38 years and Jesus, in, in, in verse 6, John tells us, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there alone, not learned, he knew. Possibly supernaturally. Maybe somebody told him, but we don't. But, but the word just, just indicates that he knew. When he knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? That's interesting, isn't it? This one man among a multitude of sick people, and Jesus comes to him and speaks. Do you want to be healed? That's a good question, isn't it? A good question for all of us to consider. Especially if you're here this morning and you know that you've not ever accepted the Lord as your Savior. Well, you have to... You have to ask, do I want to be healed? Maybe the Lord's very words through this passage speak to your heart. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be freed from the slavery of sin that we're all subject to apart from salvation through Christ? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. 
There's no indication that he knows anything about Jesus or who, you know, who Jesus is and what he's been doing. And he's probably thinking, what kind of question is that? I mean, why do you think I'm laying out here by the pool? <laughs> of course I want to be healed. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm an invalid. And I don't have anybody to put me into the water when it's stirred. Listen, this man is not the only thing that's impotent. Superstition is impotent also. Water doesn't heal. The one he's talking to heals. And you see a hint of that in the people back in Galilee. They welcomed him. Yeah, because he was a wonder worker. I mean, it's just based on superstition, superficiality. That's something to still be cautious about today, isn't it? You know, we kind of, sometimes we, 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 we use the name Jesus and a lot of other scriptural lingo and attach it to our own superstitious ideas and we, we come to Christ or we go through you know, certain motions, religious motions, thinking that somehow doing those things is going to fix us in the way that we, that we want to be fixed, of course. You know, not necessarily really fix us, but just get things going the way that we think they ought to go. I can remember, that's um, amazing, I mean, we're, we're talking here about the power of God's Word. Well, this is, this is, this is God's Word. This is the power, all right? <clears throat> I can remember, before I was saved, uh, having a Bible, keeping it relatively close by, you know, a lot of times, kind of like Brother Ron was talking about in Sunday school, you, you kept it where, you know, you knew where it was. Superstition, I mean, it's like, like a good luck charm. I wasn't, I wasn't really reading it, wasn't picking it up to really see what the Lord would say. I was looking for certain benefits, but not for a Savior. In order to look for a Savior, you've got to admit you're a sinner. In order to look for a Savior, you've got to admit that you're helpless to help yourself and that nobody else can help Superstition kind of <clears throat> takes care of that. I mean, you can, you can put faith in superstition and still it's all about you. It's really all about me. In fact, it, it's amazing to me sometimes when you, when you, when you uh, look at um, false religions or uh, even other superstitious beliefs. It's amazing how selective people are choosing certain things, you know, like... Black cat crosses your path, you know, you turn around and go the other way. But then there may be something else that they just don't buy into at all, and you wonder why do they pick that and not that. So, somehow it, it, it goes along with their thinking, their own, own idea of what good luck is or what religion is. <clears throat> so you, you can. You can Try to serve God that way. I mean, you can you can go through the motions, come to church, hang out with Christians, some whatever it is, just superstitiously thinking I'm getting help in these things. No, the only help is in Jesus. When it comes to salvation, He's the only Savior. So the man says. I don't have anybody to put me in the water when it is stirred. While I'm going, another steps down before me. In other words, he's slow. He doesn't move well. In verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed. And walk. There it is again. The power sound. The power of voice. Now, what, what we're getting here, and especially in this account, this, this word, get up, rise up. 
Get yourself up is the idea behind this, behind this Greek verb. But it's through the power of God. So what we're getting here is a, a foretaste of the power that the Son of Man has, the Son of God, the Christ, that Jesus focuses in on in verses 28 and 29. Look down at verse 28 and 29 just real quick. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. That's the term I keep referring to. Voice. All who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. So, that's kind of the picture. At, at the last day, at the resurrection, all will hear the voice, the power sound, the power voice, the power command of the Son of God. And get up. That's basically what it's going to be. Rise up. Get up. Get yourself up. And they'll come out, Jesus says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus says, there's coming a day when I'm going to command everybody to get up. And everybody's going to get up. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life, that is, you're going to be resurrected to life, eternal life, and those who have done evil will get up to judgment. Rise up to face eternal judgment. The outpouring of God's wrath on them forever. There's a foretaste of that here. There's the command. Get up! And then there's, there's also a, 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 a type here of what we're continually seeing going on in the Gospel. And that is this spiritual resurrection. When the Son of Man walks by, somebody like Matthew or Peter or James and John, as, as they're just in their routines they've been doing all along, and He essentially says, not so many words, but essentially the same idea, Get up! Rise up! In other words, come on, follow me. But spiritually, there's all of a sudden there's a resurrection going on and they're raised from death to life. And Jesus mentions that too in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear Him will live. So that's, that, there's, there's a twofold, there's a, a, a then, that is a not yet, and a now, or an already. Already and a not yet. When the dead will hear the voice of God and get up. Jesus says it's already going on. It's going on now spiritually. The dead hear the voice of God. That is those who are dead in their trespasses and sins hear the power voice saying, Rise up! Come out from among them. Repent. That is, walk away from your sin and follow Me. Come to Christ and live. Drink the living water. And so what does the man do? Verse 9 tells us. And notice, by the way, Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk. Pretty specific. And, and these things always fascinate me because there's no, there's no preparation or explanation. At least it's not recorded, and I don't think it happened. Jesus saying, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm just letting you know because I don't want you to be too, uh, you know, just blow you away and, you know, you'll, you'll be dumbfounded and you won't do what I tell you to do. So here, here's, here's what we're going to do. I, I understand you need healing. Uh, I can do that for you. I'm going to tell you to get up and you rise up. I don't think that happened. Because it sure didn't happen with Lazarus. He wasn't in the position to converse, you know. And I don't think it happened here either. 
The man's just kind of complaining, well, you know, of course I'm here to be healed, but I don't have anybody to put me in the water. And Jesus says, get up! Take up your bed and walk. And isn't that amazing? I mean, the guy's not sitting there going, do what? You know, like, what did you say? I've been here 38 years in this condition. He doesn't do that. Why? Because Jesus' command comes with power. He has, he has the power to cause what He commands. So, He says, get up. And there's no debate. Amazingly, the man just gets up. Verse 9, I mean, it's almost said nonchalantly. And at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, we do need to notice this. At once, the man was healed. So, immediately, Jesus gives the command and the man is healed. Now, now all this is happening fast. I mean, at once. I mean, that indicates... It's not like there's delays going on here, but there is a progression. There, there is a proper order. At once, the man was healed and he took up his bed. So Jesus heals him. Now, he must obey the command. What was the command? Get up, take up your bed, and do what you haven't done in 38 years. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he does it. He does it. He does what Jesus says because he's the voice of power. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. That's what John wants us to see. Never a man spoke like this before. Not since. He's the power voice. When He gives a command, it's a power command. It comes with enablement. My people will be willing, He says. Now, i just close with this. First of all, <clears throat> what do you trust in? If you claim today to know Christ, how, how deep does that go? Do you actually understand that He's the Christ, the Savior of the world? The only hope, the only salvation, the Son of God through whom we have life. Or is he just a fascinating character, a wonder worker, helps you fix problems? Is your is your trust in him, if you claim to trust in him, is your trust in him really rooted in the fact that He's the Son of God and that He's the Savior of the world. Or is, is, is your Christianity more of what we call today cultural Christianity? Which I would, at least to a large extent, in many ways, liken to superstition. We, we put our trust in things like moralism. And just being a good person kind of living a cut above, you know, nice. Is your, is your trust in that? Is it, is it in your performance? I'm, I'm a church attender. 
My mama was a church attender. My daddy, you know, my, my grandma. My, is, you know, maybe your heritage. Maybe it's in your nationality. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. And this is a Christian country, right? It's the rest of the world that are heathens. I mean, we're, we're God's people over here. And your ethnicity, you still run across this all the time in churches. This, this delusion, you know, people think they're superior. What you trust in? Or, or is it in the work of Christ? His atoning death? Do you hear His voice? And has it manifested in power in your life, causing you to forsake sin and follow Christ? Be Christ. Be Savior of the world. The Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You do grant power for what You command. Your Word does not go out void, but for return void, but accomplishes exactly what You purpose. We thank You for the effect on our own lives as believers. Thank You for resurrection life. That which is already, that which is not yet. Thank You for hope in the only Son of God, the Christ. In Your Word, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.